Uh, for those of you who are in the room or at home, we're going to begin a new series. You've heard a, re- a little bit about this already, uh, entitled Dangerous Prayers. Now, if you're anything like me, my guess is uh, that you have been praying for a while, uh, maybe for your whole life. Maybe like me, your parents or your grandparents, an aunt or an uncle, or maybe a teacher or a pastor in your life taught you how to pray at an early age. And so you've been praying things like, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Or you've been praying, now I lay me down to sleep. Or you've been praying the Lord's Prayer. Or maybe you have some other family prayers that you have been using for as long as you can remember. And for you, praying is kind of like breathing. You just know how to do it. It comes naturally. For others of you, I would imagine somewhere along the way, you had to learn Uh, a thing or two about prayer, and it's been maybe more of a struggle. Or maybe for some of you who've been praying since you were children, you've thought, I just need to uh, get better at it, more disciplined. I need to uh, pray more faithfully or consistently. Or maybe you've thought, man, I wish I could see some more answered prayers, and so maybe uh, there's a way to grow in that way. Um, As you've thought about prayer, my guess is, um, again, if you're anything like me, uh, to think of dangerous prayers is probably not the first place you'd go. And maybe even that word itself seems a little strange. What would be dangerous about praying? As I thought about it and getting ready to kind of kick off this series, the first thing that came to my mind when I thought about danger around prayer was actually an experience I had when I was in high school. This is a picture of me on my first mission trip ever. This is to Ecuador. I'll zoom in a little bit so you can see. Yep, that's the awkward 17-year-old version of me, right? And this was taken in the era, for kids in the room, before digital cameras existed. So you didn't actually know if you had a good picture. So I'm kind of fuzzy there. I'm not sure what I'm doing. Uh, My friend down in the other corner looks like she's blinking. But uh, so yeah, that's me. Uh, my parents are right there in front of me. Uh, to my right in the picture, your left as you're looking at it, is my best friend from high school, Seth. He's one of two guys. Uh, Seth and I were the only two high school seniors in that class that were guys, and there was five other girls, which would make you think the odds were good for us, right? But we'd been in school with them our whole lives, so we were ready to all move on. Anyway, um, uh, to, to my left in the picture, or in reality, and right in the picture, the tallest guy there is Phil Frusty, his wife Cassandra, staying in front of him. He was my principal, my soccer coach, my basketball coach, my religion teacher, so he was a big influence in my life. Uh, to his side, the other bearded friend is my uncle Dale. His daughter is the uh, shortest girl there, Mandy, off to the side, and then Lana was a classmate. And, and so we were able to go to Ecuador, and uh, what I remember is... So my first time out of the country, first time in Ecuador, we landed in the airport, I think it was a Saturday night, because what happened is all of us got taken to other people's homes. So 17-year-old Micah uh, whisked away without my parents, without my friend, without anyone I knew, to a stranger's house uh, for the night. And I don't remember his name, I just remember he was a nice guy, he had his sister living there with him with her two kids because her husband had died recently of a brain tumor. And, uh, and we were supposed to get up early the next morning and go to church uh, before anyone else was going to get there because they were going to have a prayer meeting. And even though I had grown up in church and gone to a Lutheran school all the way now through high school, I had no idea what this prayer meeting was going to be about. And so I was a little bit nervous getting in the car that morning and going with this guy to meet a bunch of strangers and do something I'd never done before. 
And what I remember is we got there and went down into this room in the church area, not in the church sanctuary, but off to the side somewhere. And, and people started praying loudly in a language I didn't know. And, and I knew enough of Spanish to know that sometimes it seems like they weren't even using Spanish. They were speaking in some other tongue or some other form of speaking. They were going up to each other, putting hands on each other. There was a lot of touching, and I felt a little bit uncomfortable. And so what I remember vividly in that moment was standing there, and we were in a circle at this point in time, and I was holding on to the hands of whoever was on my left and whoever was on my right. And I just prayed a simple prayer, God, just make this okay, because I don't know what I'm doing right now, and this is a little bit uncomfortable. Um, we're not going to ask you in this series, Dangerous Prayers, to fly to a foreign country or to engage in prayer in languages you don't know with people you don't know. Maybe you'll do that sometime. But um, we are going to try to stretch and challenge you a little bit by inviting you to consider adding one or more of these dangerous prayers straight out of the Bible into your regular prayer life. Starting this, word, this weekend with the first one on the top of the list, uh, a prayer of David from Psalm 139 uh, that starts like this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Now, um, search me may not seem all that dangerous at first. My guess is that all of you probably search for things all the time. Maybe you have a smartphone or a computer at home and you're on Google or Bing or Yahoo or any other search engine out there. And so you're searching for recipes, you're searching for uh, directions, you're searching for a phone number, you're searching for old friends on Facebook. Like searching is like second nature to us. Maybe if you're not tech savvy, you're thinking of all the things you lose in your house and how you have to go search and try to find them. Um, what's dangerous about search me? Well, it starts here with this first phrase. David says, search me, God, and know my heart. Now, most of us probably think that we have a pretty good handle on our hearts. We know them pretty well. I mean, they're inside of us, right? <laughs> um, we, we, we like to think that we know our motives behind our thoughts and our words and our actions. We, we like to think we have a pretty good handle on our hearts. But David invites us to a little deeper reflection here. And as we ponder the nature and the conditions of our hearts, uh, we may wonder if there's more to consider. Now, in Psalm 139, the verses we're looking at here, verses 23 and 24, come at the very end. And if you're familiar with Psalm 139, you may remember that it actually starts out a little differently. It starts out like this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. And then all throughout the psalm, it goes through this long list of all the things God already knows about us. Right? He he knows us inside and out. If some of you use uh, the uh, Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, you may know that today's verse of the day is actually from Psalm 139. It's verses, I think, 13 and 14 or 14 and 15. Uh, you have uh, knit me together in my mother's womb. You know my innermost parts, and, and it's that portion of the psalm. So David has started out this psalm by saying all the things that he already knows God knows about him. But then as he gets to the end, the prayer part, he says, search and know my heart. You see, here's what David had learned. Our hearts 
cannot be trusted. We think we have control of it. We think we know it. We think we know our motives and our thoughts and what's behind our words and actions. But, but the more we spend time looking at our heart, we realize it's broken. Um, it's fragile. It's fickle. It's easily led astray. Our heart actually cannot be trusted. Uh, look at how Jeremiah describes it. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Isn't that a really interesting choice of words? Uh, who really knows how bad it is? So if King David, a man after God's own heart, invites God to search and know his heart, and if Jeremiah, one of the prophets, describes our hearts as being desperately wicked, then maybe we need a reality check, after all, on the condition of our hearts. I remember that uh, 17-year-old high school version of me. Um, in, in March of my senior year of high school, I remember I was praying a prayer every night before I would go to bed, and the prayer was the same one. It was, God, if you want me to go and be a pastor, please let me know. Some of you have heard the story about how I ended up being a pastor, and maybe you remember some of this. For some of you, this will be new. Um, all throughout my youth and childhood, pastors and teachers and, and those around me, probably my parents too, had told me, Micah, you should think about being a pastor. And, um, and that was because I was a straight-A student. I was a valedictorian. I was good at all of the church stuff. I knew all the answers. And so they looked at me and they said, Micah, you should think about being a pastor. But what I really wanted to do is I wanted to go to Michigan State, my favorite school, and I wanted to do the college life to the fullest. I wanted to party with all my friends. I wanted to do all the cool things that I thought that college kids did, and that was really what I wanted. So senior year of high school, I'm wrestling with God. If you want me to be a pastor, you got to make that pretty clear. Right up until, and then shortly after, I took this trip. Well, wind back the clock another year, and in my junior year of high school, here's what was going on in my heart. Uh, we were in the final steps, uh, my parents and I, of getting me ready to be confirmed. And in our church at that time, what that required is I had to go to the new member class, I had to do evangelism training, I had to meet with the board of elders, I had to meet with the board of directors, and I had to meet individually with the pastor and be interviewed by him. And I was nervous. Because... Junior in high school, Micah, had everything together on the outside, looked like a straight-A student who should grow up and be a pastor someday, but I knew that on the inside, quietly, I was trying some things, right? I was pushing limits here and a little bit over there. I knew, kind of like what Isaiah says here, uh, that this was true about me. There, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so in junior uh, year of high school, I was worried that when I met with the elders and the pastor, if they probed too deeply, they'd find some stuff and I wouldn't be able to get confirmed. And so here's what I came up with. This was my plan. If I tell them I'm thinking about being a pastor, they won't ask any hard questions. That was my strategy, and it worked. They didn't ask any hard questions. 
But the reality was I wasn't actually thinking about it. I wanted to go to Michigan State and study animal science and come up with great ways to have zoos that were the best for the animals and people. That's what I thought God made me to do. But um, here's the thing. Um, God was beginning to work in me to begin to channel, to challenge and unravel some of the grip that sin had on my heart, even at an early age. And he was revealing to me that he had something more for me to do. Right now, that's a lifelong process. None of us will ever reach perfection and have a heart that is perfectly in tune with God's will, this side of heaven. But it's a process we all need to go down. So my question for you is, are you ready for God to take a close look at your heart? Are you ready for him to take a microscope and examine its deepest and darkest corners? Are you ready for him to take a scalpel and begin to cut away and remove the parts that you're ashamed of having anyone know, let alone God? If you're not, you probably shouldn't pray this prayer. But if you are, then you can be ready for God to step into you in the innermost places and begin to redeem and restore things that you can't get a hold of or control. All right, here's where David goes next, second part of the prayer. He says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. My my guess is that most, if not all of you, have spent extra time worrying in the last few years. Right? There are fears, there are doubts, there's anxiety that's close at hand. And maybe if you're like me, it settles into you sometimes physically too. Like for a while, it was kind of down in the guts area. It's migrated up towards this part of my chest. And just every so often, it'll just be lurking there, just this, this spot inside. It's just like a physical manifestation of the worries that are upon my heart and my mind. Here's the thing. What we fear matters. What you worry about at night, the things that make you anxious and afraid, reveal to you the places where you are trusting God the least. What you fear, what you worry about, it reveals where you are trusting God the least. Like, for example, for me, I'll sometimes wake up early in the night and something will be upon my heart and mind. I'll feel that spot kind of kicking into gear. And I've learned over the years what I'm supposed to do, and maybe you have too. I pray, right, which is exactly what you should do, right? Pray, God, please please take away this fear, this worry, whatever it is. Um, I cast all my anxieties on him. Um, I'm getting better at that. Uh, but I also have this second problem, and that is that as soon as I cast them on him, I just pick them back up and I still think about them right? And I still worry about them. And I'm like, what am I even doing? Like, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't do what I'm supposed to do because the things that I'm afraid of and worried of, they reveal where my faith in the providence and the power and the presence of God needs to grow. What I worry about, what I fear matters. Um, What would you say uh, is your greatest fear? 
That's a pretty big question, and I don't expect you to have an answer on the spot. In fact, as I thought about it in preparation for today, I need to do more thinking on it myself, but I have a couple things that came to mind. I just thought about my life. I've been afraid of, for example, these are some themes. Um, I'm afraid of failure, especially in front of other people. Or I'm afraid of disappointing people that I love. Or I'm afraid that people will find out that I'm a fraud and that I have this great outward appearance, but actually uh, I'm not very good. And, and all of those have a root fear behind them, and that is... Uh, that I won't have the approval of other people. Um, and what I fear reveals where I need to trust in God more. What I know is that the only approval that should matter is the approval of a heavenly Father who knows me and loves me, knit me together in my mother's womb, and yet the broken side of me longs for the approval of others. Another example, uh, a kind of a common theme for me, especially recently, has been control. I like to feel like I'm in control, right? And uh, man, is it hard when you realize how little you actually can control. What I fear is losing control. What it reveals is that I need to trust that God will provide even when I have no way of knowing how it's going to go or how it's going to end. Those are just a couple examples. The question for you is, is what would you say you fear the most? As you think about that, I want to remind you that the Scripture says there is one good kind of fear. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. That is to say, to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. All other kind of worry and fear and anxiety, it doesn't come from God. It comes from the evil one. right? And, and the opposite then is exactly what we need when we're dealing with our worries and our fears. The opposite of fear is faith and trusting in God to supply all of our need. Again, if you use that Version Bible app, and if you looked at it yesterday, you may realize that, uh, that this was the verse of the day from yesterday, uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 1. And, and just interestingly, uh, the video for 2 Timothy chapter 1 yesterday was the same guy who's the author of this book, Craig Grishel, Dangerous Prayers, that was the inspiration for Pastor Randy and I as we were prepping this series. So Craig Rochelle yesterday for this verse, and then Psalm 139 today. I think God's trying to get my attention, maybe a few others too, right? He wants us to focus in on this. Um, and and if, you, if you can go back and find a video from yesterday, it was really powerful. And the verse is as well. It says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. Right? If God doesn't rule by and try to control us by fear, if that's the strategy of the devil, and if it's in its place, God wants to give us power through the gospel and love and self-discipline, then as we put those pieces together, we realize that the reason the devil is throwing fear and worry and anxiety at us all the time is because he's trying to stop us from stepping into the place in our life where God might want to work most powerfully in and through us. Maybe your greatest fears are actually revealing where God wants to work in and through you the most powerfully in the world. And so that's why the devil's trying to stop you. That's why he's stirring up this anxiety and this worry all the time. So if we invite God to test us, 
and reveal those places of worry, fear, and anxiety. We're inviting Him to reveal to us what we fear the most so that His power and love can work in and through that place to have the greatest impact for good in the world through us. Now, by, by now, you're probably already saying, all right, I can see now, search me is uh, a little more serious than maybe I thought at first, right? We're inviting God to take a close look at our heart and reveal where it's broken. Uh, we're inviting him to, to step into those places where we are the most insecure and afraid and begin to bring power and love and self-discipline. What more could there be? Well, just, you know, just hold on. There's one more stop we want to make today. It's this one. Uh, David says, see if there is any offensive way in me. Now, here's uh, why this is maybe going to be the most challenging of all of these three steps we're going to take today. See if there is any offensive way in me invites God to reveal to us the places in our life where we think we've got it right, but we're wrong where we think we have it under control, but we're actually going down the wrong path. Um, Proverbs 12 says it this way. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Um, See if there be any offensive way in me is an invitation to God to reveal to us the areas and the patterns of our life where we're persistent in sin but think we're on the right path. And here's the problem. We're very good at hiding our sins from each other and even from ourselves. We're good at explaining it away. You know, I'm not actually drinking too much. Uh, I just enjoy delicious things. Right? I'm not actually lying. I'm just trying to make it easier on the person by not telling it 100% the right way, right? Uh, and, and we can go on and on and on self-justifying our own sins and trying to make ourselves look better both for ourselves and for the world around us. Such is the insidious nature of a broken, sinful heart. And remember David? He knew all about this. King David, right? Known for his passionate worship, his extravagant generosity, his powerful prayers recorded for us, especially in the book of Psalms, also made colossal mistakes in his life. You maybe remember one in particular. It's probably the one that he'll uh, be known for for the rest of his life. Uh, uh, A time where he was unfaithful with another man's wife, her name was Bathsheba, and in the end, to try to cover it up, he had his best friend and one of his greatest soldiers killed. And we don't know exactly what went on in David's heart and mind, but we know enough about our own selves that we can probably put some pieces together. So maybe it started like this. In the season when most uh, kings and warriors went off to war, David said, you know, I've done my time. I've put myself on the line. It's, it's, it's okay for me to kind of sit back and relax and let others take over. And so he found himself enjoying the good life back at home when he should have been off at war. And then as he was looking out from his palatial rooftop, he saw a lovely lady and he said, you know, I deserve some company, right? I'm the king. And so he invited her over. And whether he knew at the time or not that it was one of his best warriors and best friend's wives, we don't know, but that would have been clear when she showed up. And so maybe he thought to himself, you know, she's so underappreciated by Uriah. Um, She needs my attention. 
And you can see he's just kind of inviting danger closer and closer at hand. And then, however, it happened that he crossed the line and was unfaithful with her. He then tried to cover it up by bringing Uriah back home and hoping that would kind of smooth things over. And then, and then it took a prophet to come to him and to point out his sin for him to get honest with himself and with others about who he was and what he had done. And it was only when he was called out by Nathan the prophet that he was then able to admit at how good he was at hiding his sin and how broken his heart needed to become for God to redeem and restore him. Now, um, there's one last stop in this prayer that we're not actually going to get to today because we're going to spend a whole week on it next weekend, lead me. But I want to leave you with this. We're going to close with this prayer um, of Search Me. And this is one of the prayers that we want you to pray throughout the week. So if you have the bookmark, if you're in the room, you can use that. If you're on the prayer uh, text group, you're going to get this later on this week. We want to invite you to invite God to, to examine your heart, to show you and discover where it is broken and, and messed up. We want to invite you to <clears throat> allow him to challenge your deepest fears and uncover your hidden sins, but all ultimately to this end. Just like David discovered, God's desire in this prayer is not to just make you feel miserable about how bad you are, uh, but instead to, to show you the end of yourself and the brokenness that only he can heal. And for King David, that's what he did. Uh, he went on to write Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Uh, and renew a right spirit within me. David could go to the lowest of lows and meet God there and have God begin to heal and rescue and redeem him, and he can do the same for you. And that is why he sent his one and only son into the world, that the world would not be condemned, but have life through him. So as you lean into this Search Me prayer this week, including this one we'll read on the screens here in just a moment, we want to invite you then into that deeper place with God where in the midst of your brokenness you can find the help and the hope and the healing that you long for and that he's eager to give. So to close today, let's go ahead and pray this prayer prayer together. The words are on your screen. God, investigate my life. Reveal the places that you'd like to mold. Increase my humility and dependence on you. Transform me to be more like Jesus. Amen.